Hi, I'm Forrest Griffin. Brian Carraway. And Lisa Tate. What's up, guys? This is Joseph Benavidez, UFC Flyweight. Hi, this is Greg Jackson, and you're listening to It's MMA Zing, and that is an amazing pun. Get it? Like MMA, but amazing? I'm amazing. Radio. Welcome to It's Amazing Radio. I am your host, Dr. Law. With me as always, DJ Mark. What's up? Also with me this week, Kid Presentable. Last card of the year, fellas. That's right. And finally, also back this week, Lavender Gooms. Hey, guys. Do we not count Ryzen? It's true. They got a New Year's card. Keeping the tradition alive. Is that a... I saw what's-his-name's on there for sure, right? Horaguchi's on there. Horaguchi's um, on it. Go, they just I just read they just added Gomi because he's over 40. Why not? Um, and then okay. that kickboxing guy that Floyd knocked out. <laughs> Mike, we get okay. to count it. If you can instantly tell me, what do you watch it on? Go. The internet. <laughs> he's not wrong. He is not wrong. I'm guessing it's probably wrong. on Fight, right? Fight TV, Bob? I would <laughs> think so. Let me see. It's on whatever something called Live Now. I thought Horaguchi would be following Fighting Caldwell, but I guess he's done that enough. No, Min- he's fighting Wait, someone, someone else. That's to answer your question, I have no idea where. What, Mark? Who who'd you say is on this card? Please say it again. Uh, it's Gomi Horiguchi, and then the kickboxing guy that uh, oh, Floyd, you know, Floyd knocked out. One more man is on this: Ikuhisa Minowa, sixty-five and forty-three. Is that Minowa uh, man? I don't. I don't 60, think so. Sixty-five and forty-three is not Minowa man. I mean, that that the guy has one hundred and eight fights. He's okay. That's Minowa man. Okay, I okay, just now I gotta look it up. I was gonna say if if some guy's got 108 fights at the last name Minowa and he didn't earn Minowa man, that's disappointing. I feel he's earned it at that point. Um, yeah, Ryzen not you're not seeing the usual uh, American fighters that they got on their roster because well, it's the end of the world. Um, all right, boys and girls, we're gonna talk about uh, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson's performance here in the main event this past Saturday. A couple other fighters coming up big. Um, Steph really called it with Rob Font. Give him his due right now. But uh, Rob Font looked excellent. Jose Aldo looked excellent. We're going to talk about who's going to fight TJ Dillashaw because uh, people are chirping. And oh, the answer is Jose Aldo. I'm going to tell you my pick right now. But we'll get to that. Um, talk about a couple other people in this car. Talk about pretty Tony Pettis um, and his performance. Um, got some news. The return of the female goat. Um Presumably other news. Um, there's no card this week. There's no card next week. There's no card the week after that. There's no card the week after that either, I don't think. Basically, that's it for a while with the UFC cards. Um, if uh, something is coming up this coming weeks, Bellator puts on a show or one of these rise and fights really, you know, grabs us, we'll of course talk about it. Um, but, oh God damn, Hideo Tokoro's on there. He's got, he's 34 and 30. Jesus Christ. Maybe you don't fight anymore. Um we're going to talk about, uh, you know, next week we'll probably do, uh, we teased it last week. We've actually been working on it a little this week. Our bracket for our favorite um, fighter walkout songs. Um, well, Mike? we first we first have to figure out what our bracket is going to be first. So That's uh, true. We're still, taking, we're still taking suggestions. If you want to hit us up on It's Some Amazing Twitter account or, or Instagram as uh, best fighter walkouts or you know, fighter walkouts that are closely attributed with a certain song. Let us know. Right now yeah. we got a list of about twenty one 
fight yeah I mean, fights and fighters and uh songs so. we're gonna try to shave this down to 16 of course um and yeah at this point you gotta imagine we've got all the big ones um you know we got dennis siever and papa roach don't worry it's on the list okay we got kamal shalarus and blame it on the alcohol we got the number one seeds don't worry we got those no we got uh we got ronda uh bad reputation we got vanderlei sandstorm we got you know anderson and Ain't no sunshine. Anderson. Crow yeah. cop, you name it. Crow cop. My favorite thing back in the day, and it's less, it's less like this anymore since he doesn't fight anymore. But for years, you'd go on the uh, YouTube page for Wild Boys by Duran Duran, which is a very famous song, quite frankly, from the '80s. But it's also the walkout song of Miracle Crow Cop. So half the comments are, "Yeah, I love Duran Duran," and the other half are just from Croatia. And then every now and then someone would be like, what? Who the fuck is Crow Cop? Every now and then you get a comment like that. Um, anyway, let's get into it, boys and girls. Steven Wonderboy Thompson, Mark. They go out there. They say, hey, we think Vincente Luque can beat you. He's a contender. And Wonderboy's like, smacks him down. Nah, not him. And then they're like, hey, we think Jeff Neal's someone who's a contender. We think he can beat you. And Wonderboy's like, smacks him down. Not him either. Uh, what do we see from um, the perennial top five contender this past weekend? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would say even more so than some of his other performances, a really good performance out of uh, Stephen Thompson um, until potentially an injury kind of stalled him out a little bit in the last round. And even that round, I still think he won. Agreed. Um, I mean, on the other, I mean, mostly from Thompson, it was kind of business as usual, his standard karate stance, just causing his uh, opponent, Jeff, just a ton of problems. Uh, and most of my analysis really comes on like Jeff Neal just n- taking way too long to get comfortable. Um, I thought DC kind of laid the game plan out for him in the first round. Like he just has to bite on his mouth guard, get in the pocket and throw. And he just had a really hard time getting in on the inside. I mean, he pretty much had Steven Thompson against the, you know, on the outer edge of the octagon. Um, but what's so tough is uh, Thompson's lateral movement makes it really hard for him to get trapped. The guy does not really back up a lot. He usually is going left or right to avoid punches. He's angling out. Uh, but I think what Jeff needed to do, which he failed to do, was to set traps. You know, He needed to lure Thompson into circling a certain way and anticipating that and then set it up with a left high kick or a left straight. He is southpaw, so his left side is his strong side. So you know, setting up jabs, almost purposely missing them off to the right so that cir- that Thompson circles into the left into his power shots you know could have potentially been a strategy but it seemed like one he was just having a hard time getting used to it and I, I guess you know what I read today was there was an accidental headbutt in the second round where both guys got cut and Jeff basically said you know he did not have good vision out of his right eye yeah, Jeff, Jeff had a rough camp rough situation also where three of his cornermen couldn't travel because of COVID, including his head coach. Um, yeah. Saeed, uh, yeah, Saeed Saad from um, Fortis MMA out of Dallas, which is where Jeff trains. Um, I think Jeff himself, I was reading, Jeff Neal was in the hospital in the ICU a couple months ago or something. He had some sort of health issue. I don't think I'm specifically COVID. So, I mean, it's his first, you know, main event. But it did look like, I mean, maybe it was division, but it looked like he was not prepared for what we all kind of knew Wonderboy does anyway. You know, it wasn't, I didn't want to boy did new stuff, really. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's not a lot of guys, you know, in the division, in the sport that have the skill set that Thompson's, you're not going to find, find a lot of guys that have been studying and primarily just using karate for their entire career and have gotten to such a high level that Thompson has. I mean, he is kind of, 
you know, an enigma, one and of its own. I mean, you could look at Lyoto, but they still operate very differently. Um, you know, Thompson does switch stances quite a bit. And when he does, when he goes into southpaw, he uses that right lead kick to do sidekicks. It, it throws a lot of people off. It, it's, it's something that's tough to train for. And if Jeff was having a tough training camp, if his coaches wasn't there, a headbutt with a, a really, I mean, they both got cut, but Jeff's cut was right above the eye, probably affected him a little bit more where Thompson's was kind of on the center forehead. Um, there's a lot of things just not going his way. And um, to Thompson's credit, you know, he didn't let it stop him. You know, he did what he had to do to get the win. And even suffering potentially a foot or knee injury in the last round, that seemed like it did stagnate. Yeah, that, they, hit it. Movement, they hit it he hit it from the doctor. Too, he hit it from the doctor, so they couldn't see the inflammation between rounds four and five. He didn't win one because his knee was—he had like a big welt above yeah. his knee, and it, yeah, it obviously was affecting him. But he he fought through. He it was a great performance for Thompson, who has always been kind of at the the upper echelon of the weight division. So you know he was fighting off a young contender in Jeff Neal here. Uh, it was it was a win he needed. It was it would have been a huge step up for Jeff Neal. But back to the drawing board, he got five rounds in. You know, so I get I think there's definitely some experience that he's going to gain from this yeah, fight. Young guy, um, Jeff, yeah. Jeff will be back. He's just, you know, not there yet. Mike, um, Wonderboy Thompson, who carries the um, the championship title that Ariel Hilwani had made for him as the nicest motherfucker uh, champion. Excuse me. Nice mofo. Nice, uh, nice, a nice motherfucker doesn't curse. That's true. It says nicest mofo. And he did say after the fight he wants a rematch with Jorge Masvidal, um, a fight he... One back at UFC 217. I forgot they no, fought. <laughs> I, I honestly, in my head, I thought Wonder Boy lost in my head too. I was like, I feel like he's back when Masvidal looked straight up like a Puerto Rican from the Bronx, man. Like, well, he had the short I, hair. I remember them talking about this fight, and I was like, that's a really fun fight. I mean, that, that'd be really cool. I did not know they fought. I, did, I don't remember at all. And honestly, in my head, I think I somehow tied it to the fight with because in my head, I'm like, Stefan made money on that fight. I'm like, no, nah, that was Ellenberger and Masvidal. That was the one Stefan made money on. Ellenberger um, and Wonder Boy. Wonder Boy did the spinning kick, and there we go. Uh, Ellenberger did the wibbly wobbly feet. So I honestly it. think uh, Wonder Boy has got a pretty good claim to getting near a title shot. In my opinion, Mike. Um, he's got. He's coming off of two straight wins. His previous loss before that was Anthony Pettis, which was bad. There's no other way of putting it. That was bad. Yeah. Um, the one before that, a loss to Darren Till in Liverpool. I think most of us with eyes thought there was some home home cooking on that one. Um, it was close, don't get me wrong, but I think most of us were like, Wonderboy probably won that fight. Um, he gets past Masvidal if they booked that fight, and assuming his leg's okay, and it may not matter, Masvidal hasn't fought in a while, but um, assuming everything's okay, he gets past Masvidal, do you think he's earned himself another crack at the champion? Because that champion isn't Tyron Woodley anymore. <laughs> yeah, I think so. For a few reasons. I mean, one, you kind of laid it out, what his track record has been the last few years. The losses he suffered, yeah, I mean, the, the Pettis loss wasn't great, but Pettis is a is a great striker, so, you know, getting put out by strikes by Anthony Pettis isn't the worst thing in the world. The Darren Till fight, that was that was questionable. And, and Till did show up five pounds overweight, too, on that one. Yeah, it also, it also doesn't help when the guy's in a different weight class. Yeah. So, and Wonder Boy, Wonder Boy is who Wonder Boy is. That's not in any derogatory term. It's he hasn't really lost his step. Um, based off what I saw in this last fight, he was still able to counter Jeff Neal, which is pretty much his, his bread and butter. But he also showed a new level of aggressiveness that I normally haven't seen from 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 Wonder Boy. So, would I like to see him fight for the title? And do I think he deserved it? Does he deserve it? 
Yes, and with one more win, a win over Masvidal, yeah, yeah, I think he should he should fight for the title if he gets by Masvidal. Hopefully by end of next year. Uh, yeah, Masvidal number four, Thompson number five. These rankings also mean nothing, so who knows? Um, Stefan, co-main event, uh, Jose Aldo. Three round Jose Aldo's fun, man. Three round Jose Aldo just really punished uh, Chito Vera's ribs. As if they were the ones who called him out. Um, what'd you think of the featherweight goat, I guess? Probably. It's him or Max. And, um, you know, his, his third fight, I believe, at 135 pounds. What'd you think? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, he's still got a lot left there. Um, you know, I picked Vera. It, it was really just a make it interesting thing <laughs> last week. I think we were all on Aldo. We had all, for a lot of coin flip fights, we all ended up on the same side of picks. And, you know, we like to mix it up. Um, I don't like Vera, right? So it was a lot of schadenfreude for me. I think he's kind of a dick, right? I think that's how I summed him up. He, he's kind of a dick. And Aldo wrecked him with liver punches. Um, yeah. He was hitting those all night. And, like, this is that Aldo that you think of when he's peak, but a few times in there, he it just kind of disappeared, right? The guy who's vicious, the guy who throws high-low combos, mixes in the kicks, mixes in the body punches, um, and he was just sharp the whole night. Uh, Vera... For his dickishness, he's really tough. He's oh, yeah. a very durable guy. He throws with a lot of power. Um, Aldo was there for all of it. it. It truly was a vintage Aldo performance. Did uh, you catch the thing where early in the fight, uh, Vera went for that low kick he kept hitting Matt O'Malley with? But like he went for it early, and Aldo checked it immediately. And you could tell Marlon Vera's like, oh, shit. Okay. And then like Aldo reared back and gave him his own leg kick. Like, Marlon's like, oh, this is a different beast. It's good comeuppance, because, again, it's the guy, he's like, you know, O'Malley suffered a freak foot injury, but Vera was over here saying, no, I injured him from my leg kicks, even though that is different from the foot. Again, there was a lot of comeuppance in this fight, so I'm happy for it. Yeah, 2-1 victory, two, two rounds to one for Aldo across all three judges. Second round being really close. I thought Aldo won all three, but the second round was very close. Um, after the fight, Steph, Aldo called out TJ Dillashaw. Not really in an aggressive way, just as much as, like, this fight makes sense. Um, well, let's hold off on that discussion until you're... We're gonna, I'm going to go back to you with Rob Font anyway, because I told you immediately I thought Rob Font would be a good fight for Aldo, for uh, Dillashaw, or shit, Aldo. But uh, we'll get to that shortly. Um, Mike, we also had... I mean, if you didn't see this fight, please tell me now. Michelle Pereira versus Chaos Williams. Um, I did see the fight. Did it kind of make me, it kind of made me think of the main event in that I feel Chaos Williams went into this fight knowing uh, Michelle Pereira fights a certain way, but wasn't prepared to do anything about it. Hmm. I mean, it was close, honestly. I mean, if you, a lot of people scored it for Chaos Williams. I think it's the second round that was very close. Um, but it looked like he was having a lot of trouble with Pereira's movement overall. <sighs> I don't know. You're making it seem as if he was ill-prepared for, for Michelle Pereira. I think the same that we say about Wonderboy Thompson when it comes to people sparring and, you know, and training before his fight, you know, before a fight with him. And then when you get in the ring with Wonderboy, it's like, oh, this is an entirely different animal. Pereira, for much different reasons, he you can't replicate what Pereira brings into, into the octagon. So... I don't want to say it's that chaos just wasn't prepared or he didn't know what he was yeah, doing. Yeah, I, 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 I might have exaggerated a bit there. I was mostly saying, like, he didn't seem like he... 
It's almost like he like like that happened. He didn't know what to do. Really, is what it seemed like. And, and I and I think that's fair. And but even with that, it's not like Pereira was out there just doing all flippy shit all over the place. He started doing some of that nutty shit in the third round, but mm. he fought a really controlled fight the first two the first two rounds. Yeah, I was a little bit. Uh, I'll say it. I was a bit too harsh about Pereira last fight. I mean, last fight, last week on the show, and he fought. I guess he did in his previous fight the same way, right, Steph? It's it's more than that. Uh, Williams and Neil, they're both overhyped. They were both overhyped going into this card. Ooh, uh, strong a, take. Mis- a, a mistake I often make is I like prospects, so I'll jump on board on guys I know almost nothing about. That is Neil and Chaos Williams. Font is a guy I've known about for a while, so I feel vindicated because, like, I scouted him. But I'm willing to jump on these guys I don't know much about. Chaos Williams' last fight, he didn't do anything in the first round, right? The hype was getting to him. He had this expectation to, like, perform. So he had flashy knockouts. That doesn't mean he's a world-beater fighter. That doesn't mean he's a skillful tactician. That doesn't mean he is overwhelming all his opponents. Is He had flashy fights. Jeff Neal, you saw what happens when you throw him into the deep side of the pool. Like the yeah, dude I, I, is drowning. Like, well, I see what you're saying. I feel that's not necessarily fair to paint Jeff Neal with the same brush because he's had like seven UFC fights and he's beaten like good people. At least, I mean, not not, not not top five, not top five guys, but he's beaten. You know, as much as we hate him, Mike Perry's not a bad fighter. Nico Price is a good fighter. Bilal Muhammad's a good fighter. They're not that level of Wonder Boy. With chaos, we very much. The, go ahead. Besides sorry. the hot takiness of it, I think Mike is right. How do you simulate Pereira? Pereira is giant. At this weight, yeah, class. He saw, I thought Chaos was big, and I'm like, this guy's massive. Like this guy's Pereira is not small. I mean, Chaos isn't small either for that weight class. And I'm like, this dude's huge. That's like, why I don't blame <laughs> you for not taking this guy seriously because he lost to a pumped up featherweight in his debut from dancing too much, right? Like the local Canadian kid who was fighting up a weight class or two. Um, so like, it's hard to watch that, but like when you the guy isn't fucking around, like. He's an intimidating guy, and his gas tank held up fine. You know, like he was there for the whole fight. So Williams, he's got power. He it's he hasn't put it together yet. He he's still got a lot of cooking to do in the oven. So he's just a guy that you need to pump the brakes on. Marcus. One thing I really liked on Pereira um, was that the first two rounds very controlled with his strikes, with his energy. And maybe this is because I just like chaos. Well, not chaos Williams, like chaos of the sea. Is that in the third round, that's when Pereira decided, I'm going to do some crazy flippy shit. This is going to be fun. Because I have some energy this round. It's not like there's a fourth round. Let's get let's get it cracking. I remember because I thought, like, I mean, chaos won the first round, I think, on all the judges' scorecards, too. Uh, second round was close, but most people, I, I mean, all the judges and most people gave it for Pereira. I kind of zoned out. I'll be honest with you. Third round was when Pereira was doing all was going off, though. That was clearly his round based on what I saw. So, uh, Marcus, Stefan mentioned him. Rob Font, just three minutes of forty-seven of a man letting out a long layoff full of aggression, huh? <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, it was an interesting fight. Uh, you know, over the course of uh, Marlon's career, we've seen him, uh, much like Font has done. You know, get fights done quickly in the first round withstanding. And he obviously had scouted Rob and did not want any of that. He immediately took him down. He tried to make this a ground fight, which is a good tactic. You know, uh, I think a lot of people sleep on Marlon's ground skills. Uh, so I think it's not a bad tactic to try to get this to the ground where you think the other guy is going to be, you know, not as capable. Um, but Rob Font, you know, when he was able to work himself back up and they did get into striking exchanges, just it, it did look like Marlon was almost scared to strike with him. 
and, and with good reason because he he got caught early and the fight was finished you know I, I think it was a good strategy that marlon went into um because exchanging with him just didn't seem to be the key to victory and once they did you know rob font really made a name for himself i think in this fight more so than others i mean he he's been stacking a pretty impressive record and, and and you know getting some good wins but this was obviously the most you know high level opponent that he's had someone like probably the highest ranked guy he's fought and he looked fantastic in this fight so i mean yeah the the world's open to him now i think you know when you beat marlin who just fought for a title a couple fights ago and you just beat that guy in the first round and and the way he beat him just completely knocking him out just completely owning the stand-up um i, I really think speaks dividends to you know where he's projected himself in this division Marlon, um, Mike, Marlon's really got to maybe evaluate some of the ways he, like his, the level of aggression he's fighting with, because we all recognize the man hits like a truck, but we've had a couple of fights here now where people have kind of figured out, you can, you wait a little bit, you'll find a big opening to smack Marlon, Vera, uh, Marlon Marais up his head, right? Like, it can be done. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I don't think I lost the raw font Marlon Marais fight. So I I believe I had to step out for for that one, but you are absolutely right. Three straight, three of his four, three losses in four fights, all three of them by knockout. That kind of speaks that, to an issue. They're not they're not against bad people. It kind of reminds me of Cody Garbrandt, where you're just like people have figured out, figured him out on some level. Um, Steph, Rob's your guy. Um, let's uh let's talk about it here. Um, he was number eleven. I have no idea if these rankings are updated or not. Um, there's a lot of guys ahead of him. Just telling you, let's tell you what I see in front of him right now. Al Jermaine is the number one contender and quite frankly should have gotten a title shot already, but something's wrong with Peter Yan. Sandhagen at number two. He's booked against Edgar. Um, Morais just lost. Cody Garbrandt. Um, Edgar, as I mentioned, finding Sandhagen. Pedro Munoz. Jose Aldo. Jimmy Rivera. Rafael Sansao. Dominic Cruz. And then Rob Font. They, uh, I mentioned it earlier, Jose Aldo would like to fight TJ Dillashaw. People got really excited. Do you think that makes sense? Do you think Rob should fight TJ? What do you, where do you see we going with these guys? Oh, yeah. You know, it was very unoriginal for Jose Aldo to call out TJ Dillashaw on this evening. But once he did, that was a wrap. Um, oh, yeah. We're so all like, oh, you. okay. It's, the, it's a former <laughs> champion versus a former champion, you know. Aldo... Look, I always think he's closer to being done than he is, but he's clo- we can all agree he's closer to the finish line than he is to the start now. So I don't know how many fights he has left in him. We're not wasting him, right? We're not wasting Jose Aldo on up-and-comers. Um, he's going to fight established names. He might get an unfair title shot or two. Um, so he's at that's absolutely the fight they'll make. Um, if TJ's not getting right back into the title picture... Um, if there's a bit of a logjam with Aljamain and them, that's the very logical fight. Um, you mentioned, I guess, if Garbrandt isn't fighting anyone. Well, I think Garbrandt wasn't Garbrandt going to fight for the 25 title, and then he got sick. Wasn't that like he actually COVID? He has long term. He's one of those people, unfortunately, where he got COVID, and it kind of fucked him up permanently. Like he's got some real stuff going on. I guess he had to pull out of. He was going to fight Davison. Wasn't that the fight they were talking about before Davison's last fight before last? I think it was yeah, Cody if, that, if that's not on the table, then logically, I know they don't often do winner versus loser, but Vera coming off of the Aldo fight versus um, Font is a logical one. Basically, Font needs to crack the top seven now of people. Um, you mentioned Rivera. He's not that exciting to me. He's, he's kind of a guy who's tumbling out of the top uh, 
in his recent run. So I'd like to see Font fight someone with a little bit more momentum. Like I said, that's why they don't normally do the winner versus loser thing, but um, it's a high end uh, loser. So Vera is going to have to fight someone after this. So um, I think him versus Font is a very good matchup. Yeah, I know Dominic's fighting somebody. Cruz is fighting somebody. But I remember when they announced it, everybody's like, who the hell's that? That's all I remember. Everybody was just like, who is that person? And Cruz could use a win bonus. He's very inactive, very injured, and it didn't go well the last couple times. I mean, how much is it really paying to be a commentator for when you do one event every, like, you know, two months? Um, all right, uh, Marcus, I was really concerned. We're gonna, I mean, during this uh, Greg Hardy fight, and I know we don't, know, don't normally talk about Greg Hardy. Yeah, but, I was going to say uh, well, okay, I want to talk about it in this regard. That first round's going on, and I'm messaging Mike and the group chat. I'm like, man, I hate to say it, but Greg Hardy's about to be a heavyweight that's like, looks like he's figured out how to fight. And then, Marcus, the uh, second round happened. He ended up on the ground, and it looked like he was actually drowning. Uh, what happened there? Yeah, I mean, outside of his character and, and what you think of his past, you know, be it as it may, uh, we know this guy had a, a lot of potential, just his athleticism, his size. Uh, and, and this fight showed, you know, he is making improvements. I, I think his stand-up looked a lot better. He was throwing some really crisp punches. You know, he looked to be in fairly good shape. Now, that kind of all went away in the second round where, you know, definitely I think something that's always been a concern of this guy is his gas tank, you know. And, and not, you know, how long can he push a high pace like that? And we saw in this fight, you know, not only is there, you know, some questions with this, how, how long can he push the pace that he did in that first round, but... Definitely huge, mass, massive deficiencies on the ground. Um, it's not even him just getting taken down. He was in half guard. The grounded pound finish, you don't see professional fighters get finished in that position because they move. <laughs> they do mm-hmm. shit. You don't just sit there and let the dude tee off on you. And I think that probably speaks more to his gas tank in that position and and maybe some some mental you know weaknesses too. I mean, I don't want to you know push anything on the guy, but it's really that finish was really telling because he had a lot of options. You know, it wasn't like he, the dude had his back and he was flattened out. It's not like he had a mount. He wasn't facing Verdum on the ground either. I mean, it's not like no, Tom was tapping I mean, people either. Like Marcin's credit. That that's kind of what this dude does. Like if he gets you on the ground, he's tough to maneuver around. He's a big, heavy boy that knows how to use his weight down there. But the finishing sequence was just him giving up more or less. Yeah. You know? He was I mean, done. He, he, I think that, and, and, it could be gas tank, but it's also, I mean, we talked about other fighters and, and true fighters, people that go into the sport, not because it's another logical step in their athletic career, but because they have the mentality. I don't you look at uh, Tony Ferguson. That guy doesn't care about getting punched in the face. It is not, it does not deter that man to get hit and hurt. It pushes him. He, he's <laughs> he didn't care through. about getting his arm broken in the first round of a fight. That's yeah, Tony Ferguson. I just don't know if Greg Hardy's that guy. No, I don't Greg, Hardy, Greg he's, Hardy is. He's looked. He's looked for a way out a few times. We've seen that enough times now. I think he's an extremely talented athlete. I think he has great explosiveness. But to be a good fighter, it takes more than just athleticism. And, you know, you talk to so many fighters, so much of the sport is mental. You know, and I think when he's the front runner in the first round, you know, he's a strong contender. But once that that starts to pivot and he has to face some adversity, we saw him wilt and, and basically give up because he had half guard. He could have shrimped. He could have dug under hooks. He could have tried to get back up, but he started getting punched in the face and he gave up. So, you know, it, it's really unfortunate that we started to see some improvement, but 
it's improvement in places that he was already pretty strong. He's a pretty good striker. The, the Duke can crack skulls. He's a big guy. He knows how to throw punches. He knows how to well, throw them a little crisper now. But like the main deficiencies, he's not going to get in the title picture if he can't stop takedowns and if he can't work himself back up. Go work with Derek Lewis. You know, that's a guy. Look at you. Don't think he's much of oh, a. Oh, Derek Lewis has said some stuff about Greg Hardy. <laughs> he's got a big belly. Derek Lewis. <laughs> but one thing I've been constantly impressed with with Derek Lewis is like this dude gets in bad positions. Half he's side mounted. Dudes get his back. He knows like okay, I'm gonna explode right now. He explodes. He does all the movements he has to do to get back up in one big swift move, and he gets his ass back up. And that's what we have to do at heavyweight. And if Greg Hardy can't make those adjustments if he just keeps training on the striking because he's comfortable there he, he feels strong there and the gym i mean he, look he's cracking Mar- dudes you have to put yourself Mar- in bad positions to get better as a fighter and you know what marcus he's evolution. he's uh he's a top team and if junior dos santos is really training a top team which is last time i checked he was junior's gotten really good at not getting taken down i don't know talk to him um and it's not even that like he needs to work on like it, it's a couple things obviously yeah. don't get taken down but it's also know how to get up Know how to reserve your energy because I, I do think it was almost like Mike said. Once he got to the ground, he just exhaled and all that stamina went out and he just mentally broke. And then Marcin just just put the hammer down and not even like vicious ground and pound. It was just, I mean, the referee was like, you got to do something. You got to do something. Yeah. You can't just cover up. Okay, I'm calling it. You know, it wasn't yeah. even like he got pummeled well, to death. It wasn't an overeem with Curtis Blaze where his eyes are rolling in the back of his head. He just, he just stopped fighting. How, Staff, uh, let, let, how many uh, how many years has Greg Hardy been doing this now? Two years, uh, maybe. I think we. Yeah, it's only been, been like two. He's been in the UFC. He's uh, since June two thousand June two thousand eighteen is when he. Okay, he took some amateur fights too. Apparently, in two thousand seventeen. So we're like so three he, years in. So maybe he's been doing MMA for three years. Yeah. Um, anyway, let's give some credit, Steph, to the man who won the fight because we're talking about the damn thing. Uh, Marcin Taboras won four straight. He's not even ranked. Let's get the guy something, huh? Let's, I mean, they clearly set him up to lose here. They don't, at this point, the UFC doesn't book Greg Hardy in fights. They want Greg Hardy to lose, right? Let's get him know. something. Start a, start a Patreon for him. He, uh, he, he <laughs> defeated the guy that I have Max. <laughs> let's get him a check. Let's just, let's uh, get him let's a check. Just, let's crowdsource him some money, guys. <laughs> yeah. If, if Marcin Tabora is selling a shirt, guys, you can just buy merch from a guy. Don't buy the Reebok stuff. If someone's selling merch, just buy the merch. You don't have to wear it. I got merch I don't wear. Yo, you find a Marcin Tabora Reebok anything, you post that. I'll buy it for you. you know, <laughs> Mike, we went to a card with Michelle Waterson as the main event, and I'm like, hey, can I buy a Michelle Waterson tee? No, we only carry the other girl, Van Zant. I'm like, you're a UFC event. Like, the fuck, if I can't buy the main event, hers, like, gear here, where yeah, the fuck know, am I going to find this? However, Black- though, however, though, Steph, aren't you a little happy they didn't have Michelle Waterson gear now? I mean, I would have enjoyed that one night being the only person repping Waterson in a sea of Van Zant fans when the whole brand stabbed Megan New, what's it called? The Golden One Arena in Sacramento went absolutely silent from that headlock takedown and choke out. Like, <laughs> it would have been worth it, Mike. That would have been worth 30 of my dollars. Um, I remember, I think back when I used to care about social media, as we as Mike tells people to go to our Instagram account, back when I was trying to get us to like get us out there a little bit, I remember one of our most popular tweets was when I went on the Reebok website, tried to buy UFC stuff, saw they had three fighters. It was like more than three. It was like five fighters. And then I said, hey, what if I want one of these other guys? And I tagged a bunch of MMA reporters. I remember Ben Folks repl- like retweeted it and replied, yeah, I want to know this too. Uh, where, how do I get this other shit? 
Remember, like, remember, I can't remember who, but it was like someone who was a champion didn't have a shirt, but you could get a Chuck Liddell Reebok shirt who had been retired for many years at this point. Like Mike, do you remember when we were when we were in the um, the fight shop in Vegas? Uh, people don't know Las Vegas fight shop, probably the best store for MMA merch. It's in Las Vegas too. Um, remember we asked them what they sell the most of, and they told us Reebok gear, and we both were just like, "The fuck!" We we didn't believe that. We're like, "Huh?" We're like. And and like, yeah, Reebok gear, hold up by Reebok gear he meant the Reebok fight kits yeah I think it's because they only saw Diaz and McGregor ones and Rousey ones though that might be a factor in this um, anyway um, I couldn't get a CM Punk one I wanted the CM Punk jacket like I'd have bought that I couldn't find it I think I said if I hit this one parlay I was going to buy the Cowboy Oliveira one and I didn't hit the parlay I was going to have to go find that that was going to be difficult Marcus, Anthony Pettis, my man will still throw wheel kicks, huh? He'll still find a way. Um, not a bad performance, honestly. What no, it was, it was a it was a pretty, you know, overall it was a fun fight. And, you know, Anthony did have to, had to fight out of some adversity, but overall looked very strong in this fight. Um, you know, early on in the fight, he kind of tried to throw some flippy-dippy shit and slipped, and uh, Alex jumped all over him, took his back. But, you know, in, in true Anthony Pettis fashion, I even thought that first round was close, even though Alex got him down twice because Alex was able to reverse positions both times. And even in the stand-up in that first round, looked pretty good. Uh, the rest of the fight, I was really impressed. Anthony basically fought the whole fight in Southpaw. And while I don't think he's quite as dynamic in Southpaw as he is in Orthodox, what really impressed me is someone that... <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I I dabbled in some striking myself. Uh, switching stances is really tough, and I think it's really tough to throw strong, accurate punches from your opposite side. And he had a really killer left straight. I was really impressed with just his fluidity uh, fighting out of southpaw. Um, and, you know, I think going back in between the second and third round, he asked his coach, whose name I'm totally blanking on, what, what's that kickboxer's name that he's always Duke? with, Bob? Rufus, Rufus, yeah. Um, it, it what, what stance he should he should continue to fight in? He's like staying southpaw. Um, what I did like is right at the end of the fight when he switched to orthodox. That's immediately where he landed the low kick, spinning uh, head kick, which I uh, spinning heel kick, which I thought was you know awesome. It was just completely dude was on skates. Yeah, I mean it did a lot of damage, and it's just it's just such classic Pettis, you know. And I think that that is the right time to get a little crazy, you know. I don't think you, the first kick you throw should be this big karate jumping double kick that he threw and slipped immediately kind of save that stuff for the end of the round where your opponent's not gonna be able to capitalize if you just eat shit and slip um but yeah that was it was a really good performance you know at welterweight with a guy that's a really good grappler um again there was different there was a couple different uh grappling exchanges where he did a grammy roll that you know looked like he was gonna get his back again and he got right back on top he he had a lot of the uh answers for the questions that alex posed for him on the ground and alex just just he was not ready to fight someone in southpaw i don't think he was ready for anthony to fight most of the fight in southpaw and be as uh, proficient as he was there so yeah it was, a, it was a fantastic performance for him yeah he said he's going back to uh 55 that's not bad i mean 170 always I, I, seemed... I like i like him more at 55 honestly he's just nice too small for I, I think the thing is is that that is a more natural weight class for him 
that division is just full of killers. So I think it's been kind of impressive that he's been able to go up into welterweight, kind of like Cowboy did as well, and be a little undersized. But having that speed advantage kind of helps him narrow the playing field a little bit. And he's been competitive. It's not like he he's he's been bad at at, at one seventy, but his natural weight's at one fifty five. I think he's going to be stronger there. Um, but the the competition is just fucking fierce. So you know, it's kind of it's kind of like, do you want to fight bigger guys that you're going to have you know a strength and size disadvantage, or do you want to fight at your natural weight where there's just like the best fighters in the world are fighting there. It's kind of like, I, you know, you, you, it, it's a tough spot to pick, but I think a, a move back down to 55 will probably be good for him. Um, so that, that's the last, Oh, I, I saw one other fight. I don't think anybody else did, but I enjoyed it because of, it was a short stocky gentleman who is Darren. I'm talking about Deron Wynn from American top team, a protege of Daniel Cormier. So it was appropriate five foot six middleweight. Took on a six-foot-tall middleweight and Antonio Arroyo. And Antonio Arroyo did not consider the possibility that one of Daniel Cormier's protégés. Maybe he didn't consider the possibility. He couldn't do shit about it. He was getting taken down at will for three rounds by a guy six inches shorter than him. And it was just an entertaining visual. Um, pardon my sneezing. Um, before we move on to news, um, well, I guess this is news too. Submission Underground was this past weekend. And uh, Marcus, uh, it was da- Donald Cerrone versus Rafael Sansao. Not Rafael Sansao. Rafael Dos Anjos in a grappling match. And uh, Cero- and uh, Cerrone tapped him out with an armbar. But uh, Rafael Dos Anjos says he didn't tap. Though I, a lot of us thought he tapped. Uh, so we had, to, we had to get a good old-fashioned Team Quest double tap. So later on, at the end of the show, they did it again. And then Cerrone made him tap out twice. So he tapped him out again later yeah, on. <laughs> it was kind of, I mean, I, I didn't see the fight. I saw clips on, on Twitter or whatever, but I guess the story is they kind of did like their regular match with might've been like a f- two, five minute rounds or something. And it was basically a draw. And I guess this is like Chael Sonnen's whole submission. Organization. Yeah, overtime. yeah. So then I guess in overtime, they get to pick like ad- advantageous positions to try to finish the fight, which I get from what I remember hearing is like one's having back, like having the guys back and the other one's like in arm bar, arm bar position. Mm-hmm. And they both took back at first. And I guess nothing happened. And then Cerrone's like, well, I'll take arm bar. And, and then he finished it with the arm bar. It was just like, the arm bar position seems a lot easier to finish than back. I mean, back, there's lots of defenses. We we see guys get the back all the time in MMA and even uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and not finish because you can do a lot of hand fighting. Like, when you kind of have an arm isolated, it's kind of a wrap there. But yeah, I, I, did, I, I saw the same story essentially. And I even saw it was... I didn't see a clear tap. I don't know. I, I mean, I, mean, I don't know. The refer- I mean, I guess, like, I mean, Cerrone's like, we can just do it again because that's the kind of guy Cerrone is. So they did yeah, it again. And, and they did it again, again. And, and he tapped him again. So it's yeah. kind of like, all right, it all worked out in the end. And if you guys remember uh, a couple years ago when Rumble Johnson hit Anthony, hit Ryan Bader so hard, you wondered if Ryan Bader would ever remember his name again uh, in an MMA fight. Don't worry. They had a grappling match. Ryan Bader won by faster escape in overtime. So they're square now. We're all good there. Um, News-wise, let's get into it. I think the main news is that Amanda Nunes is coming back. Uh, Amanda Nunes was supposed to fight uh, in December um, against Megan Megan Anderson for the 145-pound championship, which is not a weight class, but has a belt. Um, She had to pull out. It looks like they're going to run this thing back in March. Stefan, Megan Anderson getting finished? She's a big girl. She's a large woman. And it's, you know, there's that too. <laughs> I will say yes, she is. Um, welcome back, Amanda. Not the most compelling fight. Um, it's just not that interesting of a dance partner. 
she's mom. She's a mom now, right? Did Nina Ansaroff give birth? Did anybody that happened, right? So you know, congrats on that coming back. Um, Wonder Boy, by the way, says he thinks he might have tore a muscle, which that would be bad. Torn anything is the worst case scenario in all this stuff. So I'm gonna put the brakes on a lot of those thoughts for Wonder Boy. It's always been the situation with him, Mike. He's hurt a lot. Just some guys just get hurt a lot, and he's one of those guys. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah, um, I don't think, uh, I mean, if there was other news, none of it seemed that big this week. Uh, we all know Conor McGregor's coming back, it sounds like, in January with Poirier. That thing's booked. Uh, the UFC's next card is in uh, January 16th with uh, kind of a badass main event, quite frankly. Max Holloway taking on Calvin Qatar. Kat- uh, um, Sarah McMahon, Juliana Pena, Ponza Nibio's on the card. Nick Lentz is going to snooze it up on the card. You know, there's some people on here. Betch Cohea still in the UFC. Good to know. Um, and uh, Bellator, I don't think, has a show booked anytime soon, unless I'm mistaken. Um, yeah, nothing's even on the schedule. But they did and, sign Yoel Romero after saying they weren't going to sign Yoel Romero. They got more interested in signing in fight and Yoel Romero after Yoel Romero said he wants to fight at 205 pounds, which that made me more interested in Yoel Romero too. Uh, one one championship announced that Mighty Mouse Johnson is going to fight for their flyweight championship, which why he hasn't done that already is a good question. Um, he has no losses in that promotion, but he's fighting in February um, against Adriano Moraes for the flyweight championship. Um. I think that's it, though, man. We got, I mean, that's it for MMA for a little bit, guys. We're going to do, um, our year end awards probably in two weeks. Figure out what we thought was the best knockout of the year. Um, the best fight of the year, which it's going to be hard to beat Figueroa and Moreno for me person, personally. Um, some of the other categories. It's been a crazy year. So it's going to be, this one's going to really test us, I think, Steph, in terms of actually remembering what happened because everything's a blur, to be honest, for me. Um, it's been a long year. Yeah. We have to wait for all the other outlets to give yeah. their nominations, and then we look at it and we sprinkle a little bit of the "It's an Amazing Dust" on. Yeah, top that, that's what I'll our own, baby. I'll, pu- I'll put a bunch of fight uh, cards up, and we'll all be like, "What the hell happened in that one?" And then we got to look it up and be like, hey, "That was pretty good. I remember that," or "I don't remember that at all." Um. Anyway, um, let's just get into stuff we like, huh? Yeah. Um, that, let's just do this. Did everybody watch the Mandalorian? Of course. <laughs> Yes. I mean, I feel, uh, Steph, I feel we should talk about that because. Well, it's over now. Well, yeah, Steph let's just, watched it. Uh, Steph watched, definitely watched uh, it. Yeah. I, I watched it. I had, yeah, rea- I, I had a reaction. I, had, yeah, I, watched I, woke it. Up, I woke up at 6.45 last Friday so that I can just roll over, fire up my phone, and watch it before I logged into work. That's smart. Before all the memes come in. Yeah. So um, let's just get into yeah. it. Steph, oh, what do you think? That's one way to experience Steph, you uh, you'll let you be the ringleader here. What'd you think of the show? Uh, what in the, as a finale or as a as a season? <laughs> what are we talking well, about here? Well, let's go with the finale. Let's just talk about the finale because we kind of week yeah. by week we're talking about. I mean, I think our feelings of the seasons was a lot of like, oh, this is monster of the week. But at the end, we got to the end. And what'd you think? I guess <laughs> uh, my tweet length review of the finale would be, uh, "Holy s, uh, you bastards did it!" Like. Mm-hmm. Um, they really fucking went for it with that episode, and I have mixed feelings about some things about it, you know? Um, the Darksaber fight versus the Spear was kind of lame. 
Um, Eddie, speak, just a side tangent. Eddie sent me uh, the Vegas bookies are putting out odds for who the casting will be for Doctor Doom, and the biggest favorite, if you can call him that, is Giancarlo Esposito. And I told Eddie because of that dark saber fight, he lost it for me. He doesn't have any physicality. He has no <laughs> physicality. It's like it's <laughs> that. Also, Peyton Reed directed this episode, director of the Ant Man movies. He is a weak link. Peyton Reed is one of the weak link directors of the MCU. He's not a good director. Wait, he, he Why directed. Does he keep hiring this guy. I don't know. Um, he directed both Ant Man movies. Yeah. Most of you didn't even see the second one. Started, he, he I saw the second over. one. He took over um, for the first one. That other weird director. Oh, and, and Edgar Edgar Wright yeah. tried to be Edgar Wright yeah, too much, we... right? That's what happened. Edgar Wright tried to Edgar Wright it up, and Disney's like, "No, nah, man, go sit down." <laughs> yeah. So I'm not. But that aside, um, you know, um, just I'll just get to the big two watershed moments um, because one of them I could see my reaction coming. The other one I couldn't. When the lone X-Wing comes in, it took about a second and a half for me to put it together. And I was like, oh, the X-Wing pilots are back. And then when they specifically called out the lone X-Wing, I had that moment where I'm like, no fucking way. Yeah, it took me longer than a few seconds. It took me for longer than that. I was like, at least five seconds where I'm like, no, are they? And then they're like, you see, yeah. It was a happiness. As soon as I confirmed it with the man in the robe, I started tearing up. Like, and it shocked me. And I said out loud to myself, even though I was just home alone with the pups. And I was like, oh, shit, I guess this character, that being Luke Skywalker, it means more to me than I let on. Like, as a character, like, a lot of people, myself included, I mostly I mostly made peace with the sequel trilogy, right? It was a giant clusterfuck mess. They made it up as they went. I took what enjoyment I could out of it. But I, along with many, feel like, Luke Skywalker as a character did not get the payoff he deserved, you know, for being the character that started us on this whole journey in the first place of the Star Wars universe. So the idea that we would get like, holy shit, I'm going to get a hallway scene a la Rogue One of prime era Jedi Luke Skywalker. And I loved it. Like him, like when he crushes the robot, I'm like, ah, like father, like son, you love shit. <laughs> You know, like when he pulled. Well, when they showed the cover, go ahead. The glove is the glove did it for me. I'm just like, is that really? I'm like, is that really Luke? And they're showing the glove. I'm like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. I kept kind of in my head, kept going, oh my god, oh my god. I'm like, they really did it. Wow. Okay. And it's like, yes, let's you know, elephant out of the room. The the CG face wasn't great, but it's fine, right? It's fine. I know a lot of people were. uh, I've I've heard it out that if you were going to cast a young Luke Skywalker, do Sebastian Stan. Sebastian yeah, Stan, he's already he's already in the Disney verse, being the Winter Soldier. He resembles a young Mark Hamill. I'd be fine if you want to actually make that a show, but for this moment, we already have the precedent of young Leia digitized faced, Grand Moff Tarkin digitized face. Look, it's not the cleanest, but I'm fine with it, right? Because we want it to hit home. So I I felt like that really hit. Um, but holy shit, that ending. Um, the goodbye, you know, we don't get to see a lot of Pedro Pascal's face in it, but that that whole scene had my face like a teary ass mess. You know, he takes off the helmet, little little Grogu baby Yoda just like reaching the face. It's like so. This is what I'm torn. It's like it's a beautiful ending. This is where we were going, but I kind of hate it. It's like 
fuck you, Luke Skywalker, give him back. Like, well, well dude, honestly, I, when I was over, because I knew Mike told me he'd already watched it, I'm like, is the show over? Like, are we done? Like, are we done with this show? Is it really? So, I mean, like, I'm so like, the only thing they left me, the, what they left me with was, um, what's her name? Katie Sackhoff has got to fight the dude for the saber. And I'm just like, is, is that it? Because that's the only thing I'm left with here. Because then they gave me a whole side plot, the whole, like, new show in the post credit scene where they're like, hey, um, I forgot the actress's name. I had it like a minute ago. Someone help me out. No, no I was going to say, is that a second? Say it again, Steph. Ming, Ming Na Wen. Yeah, I'm like, all right, we got Ming Na Wen and Boba Fett because I don't know Boba Fett's name at all. But like, that's a show. I'm like, okay, is that the show now? Are we done here? Because so to give you some what is the show, Bobby? Um, on I think GMA today. Uh, what's his name? The the director um, from Favreau. Rounders, Favreau. There we go. Uh, John Favreau was on GMA today. Wait, wait, Rounders. Yeah, yeah, he pulled from like Swingers and all the other. No, I, I don't. I don't think he directed Rounders. That's what I'm saying. Of all the movies, I think oh, it was Swingers. Is what you want to? Swingers. Wanted. I'm sorry. Swingers. <laughs> you, you know what, man? Come on. Anyway, he talked about that. What's going to happen is that um, Book of Boba Fett comes out next December, and then season three of The Mandalorian will happen. So. No, Boba Fett is not taking over for the Mandalorian, but it looks like there is going to be a bit of a pause between this season and the next. Uh oh, one of the puppies is bad. <laughs> oh my bad, I'm not even muted. <laughs> yeah, so what it, it, what, be a bit more uh, clarification on that, Bob. Marcus, I really enjoyed when they went to Jabba's, you know, Jabba's fucking lair, and that dude—I don't even know his name—but he was sitting on Jabba's chair, and I'm like, oh, that motherfucker's back, baby. Yeah, I'm like that motherfucker's back. I'm like, great. And then he got iced. I'm like, oh, well, he had that coming. That was nice. What'd you think? I, well, um, I'll talk about that that scene first. Um, the one thing that when I was watching with Christine, she she made a good point, and maybe you guys know, do does that species do they turn into Jabba the Huts? Because he looked like he was getting fatter, and he kind of has like the snake head thing. Where it's like I, I, I could easily see him evolving into a hut. I, I think that's. It. I thought it was just the job. I'm like, that's the job, man. When you yeah. do this job, I mean, it gets to you. I, I think that um, the post credit scene was really fun, um, and I think that's a really fun premise to have Boba Fett go back into the layer of Jabba the Hut and kind of take over. And I think that that's a fun premise for another show. Um, I'm going to have the dissenting opinion. I did not really like this episode that much. Um, I feel like one of the things I liked about the Mandalorian the most is that they don't spell shit out for you at all. It's like, if you don't know what's going on, like you just don't know, this is a universe of mystery. And if you don't know the little pieces and you don't watch the YouTube videos of people breaking it down, you're just missing part of the thing. And I think you can still enjoy the show without knowing every little nuance. But in this episode, they tell you every little nuance and I think I understand why they had to do that. They do want to get, you know, people that don't know what's going on, what the fuck the dark saber is, why it means anything to anybody um, to give them that exposition. But I was not a big fan of the scenes where it was like the dark saber was like the king. You know, they kind of explained all the things they haven't been explaining. I think those scenes really dragged. Um, I like the action scenes in this. I even like that. I like that dark Midian in the saber fight. I mean, yeah, they're not doing the crazy it's kind of more old school original trilogy lightsaber fight, but I thought um, the uh, Pedro Pascal did a great job selling like him fighting this saber, and I love the effects of. I mean, maybe it's mostly because all I was looking at was like, man, look at that lightsaber get blocked by that spear. Look how hot it's getting. Like I dug those effects. I really, I mean, I love the fight where he just fought one of the dreadbots by himself and just how much he struggled in that fight to finally win it. I thought it was a really fun, compelling scene. Um. But I think 
I don't share that love of Luke Skywalker as much and compound the fact that I love this show because it's finally getting away from the fucking Skywalkers and then to have the end of it be like, here he comes again. Yeah, guy, he's Luke. The Skywalker has got to be in everything, right? You just you can't. It's a fucking universe of stories, and they show up everywhere. It's just like there there are other Jedi's they could have pulled for this, and I think I see why they did it because if you had the the kid from Rebels come in, no one gives a shit. It's just like who's this kid? I don't even recognize him. Who cares? But I, I just, was hoping that was Ezra Bridger. Uh, yeah, Ezra, and I mean, even uh, for no me, no one would have cared. Is the thing exactly, no one would have cared, but for me, it was okay. We finally had a show that was like, okay, we're going to give you some fan service. We're going to Tatooine. We're going in those same spots, but it's not all Luke and Obi-Wan and Leia and all that shit. Like, we're, they're circling around it, but they're not getting right into it. And I don't know. I think at the end of it, just having Luke show up was just like, oh, they just, they can't get away from it. They just, you know what it is, man? I think it's, it's really hard for them. I think, I think, well, I mean, I mean, maybe they could do it, but I think a lot of it is they're like, we got a, an entire universe built on, the fact that a lot of us watched this watched this original trilogy when we were kids and we've all like stuck on to these certain characters because they meant so much to us as children and i think they maybe didn't think that i mean you mentioned some characters that maybe people wouldn't have cared about and i guess it's not as easy to get people to care as much about new characters yeah. maybe i mean i i i completely i get what you're saying i, I mean I, I dug it i dug it a lot but i understand what you're saying too. i think i think for me what star wars always was so special was is about the stories in my head it's not just like the characters i saw and whatever misadventures they do it's like this is a fantastic universe with all kinds of stories and plot lines and in stories weaving in and out that we don't get to see and this show was that show. It's like, this is a show that has nothing to do with those other movies. It's in the same universe. You're going to see similar characters and similar locations, but we're really getting away from the, the, the Skywalkers. And for me, that was the appeal was like, okay, here's a thing where it's not about the original movies. This is a thing where it's just in that universe and we're playing around with that. And, and, and to be fair, like, I know I'm in the minority because I know a lot of people, like we talked to one of our coworkers, Chris was like, every week where it's monster of the week, it's just like, well, fuck, are we ever going to get to the main plot line? And I think for me, getting back to the main plot line in this, in the last couple episodes, in the last couple episodes, I enjoyed a bit more. But getting to, to this one, I think they had to sp sprinkle in so much exposition that it kind of ruined the, the, the pace of, of the show, of this episode overall. And then I, I feel like for me, like, I, I do get like, and a lot of people were just like, and I think another thing was I did see memes before where there, everyone was saying like, oh, the last three movies... They couldn't do it right, but in one episode of Mando, they nailed it out of the park. So, like, I had high expectations. I was like, okay, everyone's psyched for this thing. I'm excited to see it. And then when I just see Luke, and it's just like, uh, they kind of, they fell back on, on something that you knew was going to, like, please the fans. Um, and for me, it just didn't hit as hard. Um, I do agree with that. I did like the, the scene with Grogu and Pedro Pastel, and they're leaving. I thought that was very touching, and I and I even liked the, 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 the Boba Fett thing, but that just seemed like, it seemed, I mean, obviously very Marvel-esque to not only just have an end credit scene, but that to be basically your teaser for your next show, like routine up for the next one, which you know, I'm going to watch and I'm probably going to love the, the book of Boba Fett. But I don't, overall for me, it's just like I had high expectations going in and I, I just didn't love it. It just didn't knock well, my socks off. But so I, watch I, it again, I, might have to well, I was going to say, I want to go to Mike for his opinion. I'm like, I, while you're doing that, can you please give me your thoughts on where was Grogu during the trilogy that just came out? 
Because I feel I'd be needing. I'm going to answer that. There are there are a ton of questions, but to <laughs> just talk, I, was, I actually wanted to ask a question on Grogu as well, but <laughs> just to talk about what Mark was talking about, and I can understand what you're saying about you like the fact that the Mandalorian, while maybe sprinkling in little little things about the the original trilogy and you know things that happened afterwards, it's been its own standalone thing. Right outside of you know, like including Boba Fett and little little other things. Although I will say this: that they didn't shoehorn Luke Skywalker in. If you think about it, this has been something that's been building for two years, right? You find the little Yoda thing, right? Then this whole season is basically we need to find a Jedi. My my quest is to find a Jedi to give this little fucker to, right? And. <laughs> What's that necessary? <laughs> Jesus. And okay. I mean, if you know the Star if you know the Star Wars, you know, you know, mythos, there aren't many Jedi left. If you watch Rebels, you knew that Ahsoka was out there. And when you found out that Grand Admiral Thrawn was alive in this in this show, you're like, oh, that might mean Ezra Bridger is alive. But besides that, the only other Jedi that the Mandalorian could have taken Grogu to was Luke Skywalker. That's literally the only other person it could have been. So granted hindsight is 2020, but we should have seen this shit coming. Like this should have been what, something that we should have seen coming. What's the premise here? We're like, we're like five years out from uh Jedi return of the Jedi. Roughly. Is that what we're at? Time yeah. wise? Five, 10 years. It's only a few years and a few questions I, I want to pose to you guys. One, Grogu is at least 50 years old, right? Because yes. he was tra he trained in the old republic. He was a I don't know, one of the little kids in uh the, the Jedi Temple. He was young, thank you. Thank you. And I know that Yoda species, like Yoda was like 900 years old when he ended up dying. When the fuck does that race learn how to speak? This motherfucker is like at least 60 or 70 years old. When does he learn how to talk? I hey, mean, man, you, I you, you can question if Yoda knows how to speak because his, <laughs> his subtext doesn't always make sense. I was watching episode three over the weekend. Um, by the way, it's not that bad, honestly. It's fine. Except when, when Darth Vader does go, no, it is as funny as you remember it. That is it's exactly as funny as you remember it. But I remember thinking like, man, Yoda's here just like whooping ass. And I'm like, how much later is Return of the Jedi? Because Luke's pretty young. And I'm like... Like twenty five years, this dude goes from not from like he's nine hundred this whole time, right? Those last twenty five years, fucking Yoda, he just goes off Their a cliff. Time is from two hundred <laughs> years to nine hundred, and not for yeah, nine hundred. He goes, he goes off a cliff. I'm like, it's <laughs> like when you look at Obama's hairline and what happened to him after his eight years of presidency. Look, Yoda presided over the annihilation of the Jedi. Let's say that aged him a little bit, you know. And then he went and lived in the swamp. He went a little crazy in the isolation. Yeah. By the way, in the at the end of the movie, Yoda tells. Uh, you and McGregor that Qui-Gon's figured out immortality possibly and I'm like does that come up in some other book or something because that's literally a thing they end the movie with I'm like are we doing this in the, no in the novelization of uh, episode 3 they talk about it but that's about it oh good cool awesome because I was like I'd be down to watch that what did that um, happen one other thing uh, I'm sorry to interrupt stuff but just one other thing is that look if there's one thing I have detested over the last year and a half or so since um the last star wars movie came out is 
after the movie comes out, every so often you get a news report saying, oh, yeah, this little thing about the movie, like, oh, yeah, something you didn't know that like they kind of just shoehorn in. Right. But it's like, well, you should have put that in the fucking movie. Right. One thing I particularly didn't like about this season of The Mandalorian is, yeah, I don't need to have you tell me these are the beginnings of the first order because all you're telling me is ooh these are the seeds that get planted for three shitty movies that happen ooh aren't you shocked change your perspective on those movies so you grow to appreciate them more i I mean look that's that's feloni's whole stick is the clone wars animated series filled on the gaps that made people appreciate the prequel trilogy more like it's exactly what Filoni's shtick has been up to this point. So it gets what I was going to circle back to is um, I very much agree with Mark. While I, I spoke to Watershed moments, I don't think you're a minority opinion at all. This was a very uneven episode. Um, like I think Luke specifically was a calculated gamble because if you're separating Mando and Grogu, that's going to upset people. That's the dynamic this show is founded on. So if we're going to separate them, we're going to give him away it has to be a character that people have a warm reception towards, you know? And that's why you really couldn't do the video game guy um, from Fallen Order. You couldn't do Ezra from the Clone Wars. It's because the whole internet would be like, fuck this. Like, I'm out. You know, at least with Luke, it cushions the blow for many people. Um, So I think it's a calculated gamble in that regard. Um, I I mentioned him earlier, and it's part of why I mentioned the Doom thing was, uh, it's not really his fault, Giancarlo Esposito lost a lot of luster for me with this series and particularly this episode. Motherfucker waxed like melodrama very much. Super exposition-y on everything. Kind of cartoonish bad guy. Like, okay, Mando the Jailer didn't make sure to remove his ankle holster, so let's cover that up. His over-exposition lines. There was a lot of clunkiness. Um, This episode, like I think one of you said it, it's suffering the MCUification of star Wars. Um, after rise of Skywalker bombed, what was the announcement? We're going to put a pause on star Wars. Look, we had all these plans, but star Wars is in bad shape right now. Let's give it some time to breathe. Um, we're going to cancel these pro we gave the game of Thrones guys, a trilogy. We're canceling that. We're giving Ryan Johnson a trilogy. We're canceling that. And then Mando came out of nowhere to be this runway success. So what did we see at the last investor? Like 12 fucking shows. And so that's what all that exposition is. That's what all these extra characters is. We got to set up 12 shows now. And it's like, I'm very nervous for the franchise. Do you Uh, think a lot of that is also because they're like, people aren't going to the movie theater. And they're like, we have this service. I mean, I know you can make movies for the. Yes, I I know. But I'm speaking as a Star Wars fan. I don't give a fuck about the business side. Oh no! But I mean, you're saying they're like they're doing twelve, they're they announcing a whole bunch of shows. I mean, sure. they, um, you know, that's that's a factor in this. So the whole thing to press pause was very needed. It was very necessary. We all agreed. Like Mark, I understand your disappointment because it's why Mando felt refreshing. Is we were stepping away from the Skywalker verse. You know, we were just going back to the sandbox, and that's the shit we all love. That's why we had the action figures. We invented our own stories. You know, like we create our own heroes with like the Knights of the Old Republic games. So. It's in a as much as I did love this two seasons overall, I'm very nervous for the future of Star Wars from this point forward. I have a they're they're at very risk of oversaturating the market on their Star Wars content. I would I would just I, I think if they could take away anything, 
I would just hope <laughs> they either see that it, it's either a casting problem or a script problem. Dialogue's not a strong suit in this series. <laughs> That's why Mando is a very interesting character because he's a man of few words. He's, he says very little we're n- they don't over explain things. I think that's why this episode was so bad. And even Moff Gideon, I think, you know, when you start talking about his stuff, I start remembering like yeah, he talks probably more in this episode than he does. in I mean, definitely the first season where he basically didn't show up until the last ep- uh, last episode and the rest of the season where he had very short scenes. And yeah, some of it was cartoonish. Like when he's when Luke comes, he's like, oh, he's all freaking out. And shit. it's just like yeah, a lot of it just didn't land right. And I think part of it is, I mean, look, I'm not, I don't want to throw Katie Sackoff under the bus. I'll throw Gina Carano under the bus. I don't think, or even um, who's the other uh, the pro wrestler girl? Sasha Banks was Sasha. excellent. I think I don't think the she. I think probably, I think she did better than the other two with her lines, but she had fewer of them, which I think helped. And it's just like anytime they had a conversation. I was bored to tears because, like, I was like, this is not acted well. What it what it lacks what. The other thing is like, okay, look, if you have to explain this stuff because you do want people to get on board to understand like, okay, there's a little more nuance here than what we're just showing you. And if you know your shit, then you, you kind of get the, the extra wrinkles and the extra Easter eggs. But you kind of want everyone to be able to understand that stuff and appreciate it. They got to get better script writing. What the MCU does so well, you throw in some jokes, man. Throw in some jokes and I, you can give me more exposition. Look, and it's just like, this is what this is. And blah, 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 and it's just like, oh, I'm bored. Let's, let's just well, go get some spaceships already. Man, I mean, we, you said we have a series of bad dialogue. We got nine movies with questionable dialogue. It's, dialogue's never been what the, the strength yeah, of this series. Really this whole franchise. It. They need, I mean, um, and look at but was it. By the way, um, I thought last week, I don't know if we talked about this. I honestly, time's a blur. Bill Burr, I thought, was really good. <laughs> Can we talk about that last week? And, and I thought Bill Burr killed it. Because he's a I comedian. I thought Bill Burr killed it. He had comedic timing, and even when the scenes aren't comedic, he he's a better actor, straight up. He's a better actor, and he kills those scenes, and those scenes aren't as boring. Because, one, I think, intrinsically, they're more interesting because it wasn't just... It was exposition dumps, but it's not just like, I'm going to explain to you what this is and why it's important. It was him talking to somebody... And them speaking in code about they know what's going on, like, oh, yeah, but a lot of people died, right? And it's like, well, that's just how it goes. It was a much more natural conversation than like, yeah, Mando, let me explain to you what this Darksaber is. Whereas as I hold it over Yoda's head with his little hand, it's just like, this is a weird setup. I mean, we, we, learned in, uh, we learned in Breaking Bad, man. Bill Burr's not just jokes. Bill Burr can actually yeah, do some stuff. And I, I think, it, so I think part of it's casting, I think part of it's writing. Um, I think, look, at, I want there to be some more comic relief, but don't go look at Jar Jar. You know, if that if that's their answer, then don't do that. Just give me boring scenes and I'll, I'll suffer through them for the action. Know how to do comedy, right? How to make the interest, the characters interesting, but playful and fun. Because, you know, this, this is this is cowboys, space cowboys. You know, let's have fun here. Was it last week where Sasha Banks hit like a tornado DDT on Boba Fett? That, that, that was, was, a far... was that this one or last Was week? that this week or last week? That was great. That was great. <laughs> that was, I saw that. I'm like, oh my God, she's getting a tornado DDT on Boba Fett. I bet she's losing her mind. Um... We'll see where we go with this, man. We got a new series, apparently. Um, like said, we have fan. 12 new series, Bob. So we're yeah, sure. We got a lot of, we got a lot of those series, new series. Ranger, so, uh, Rangers of the New Republic. We don't know if that one's going to go through because, as Mark alluded to, Gina Carano is losing a lot of brownie points with the United States public, just in general. Yeah, well, we'll see if they actually pull the trigger on any of that stuff. Is this week, uh, speaking of 
well, this isn't speaking of Star Wars. This is just, you mentioned Marvel, so I'm going to bring up DC. Is Wonder Woman on actual Christmas? Yeah. It comes out? Mm-hmm. It's yep. not out yet? It's Christmas? Yeah, Christmas Day. So, and, and you can't get an HBO Max trial, so you got to pay for HBO Max now? You you can't get a trial because they're putting the movie out? They, well, they're putting uh, they all their movies out. They froze the trial. In, oh, in their defense, in their defense, they thought they were going to sell a lot of tickets to these movies. In their defense, Bobby, so. they should know motherfuckers not going to cancel. Look, you're going to get what Disney said. did with uh, with Mulan. Where it's like, uh, look, you want to watch it on Disney? Yeah, I was going to say five bucks. I think it was thirty. Oh shit! Uh, but I did not yeah, know about that trial. Look, you know what? Uncle Sam is sending you six hundred dollars. They want some of that money. That's where this is going. You got to put some of it. Look, do you want to pay rent, or do you want to see one? Yeah, because you know, you know, six hundred dollars. You're basically Scrooge McDuck in this country with six hundred dollars. That's what that means. Did you guys see uh, uh, things I don't like, but I and I like them in the ironic, comical sense? Did you see that memo they put out with the six hundred? Like, here's what you can do: replenish your rainy day fund, invest in your retirement. They like here's like seven things you can do with your six hundred dollars, and it's like. Or no one can pay rent because another list came out. Their rent is not six hundred dollars anywhere in the country. No one can they, pay a single month rent off of this. Uh, there's some places rent is six hundred dollars. I mean, you don't want to live you, there. I was gonna say if you got a room, <laughs> like a four bedroom place. Um, real quick, um, Mike, we watched TLC. I just want to point out that they lit a motherfucker on fire. (laughs) They just lit a dude on fire. Straight up committed a murder last (laughs) night. He caught a body. I mean, look, they switched out a body and, you know, they put a, you know, a fake one in there for that. He lit that motherfucker on fire. And the cool. I was about to do something, but this is not a visual medium. But Randy Orton posed. It was amazing. You guys know the Randy Orton pose. He killed a man and did a Randy Orton pose. Marcus, I'm not sure if you saw this, but the Fiend character, they did an Inferno match. And um, they, well, first he caught fire while wearing a leather jacket and doing a mandible claw. That was a cool visual. But then, you know, it's a pre-tape match. They had him laying in the ring dead, basically. And then Randy Orton lit up, put him on, put gasoline on him and just lit him on fire. So that, that was a thing. That was kind of cool. And um, uh, Kevin Owens is the man. Kevin Owens and Roman Reigns was excellent. Kevin Owens doesn't have bad matches, folks. Should probably make him world champion again. Just my two cents. But, you know, they had me believing he might win for a minute, Mike. They had me believing he might win. There's so. a uh, there's an Instagram account that I follow. Um, I don't know if it's that Dave Meltzer guy here you guys talk about sometimes. Uh, but they uh, they do a rating of each um, each wrestling card afterwards. And that one got a 9 out of 10. The only thing there were only two matches on there they didn't rate as a must watch, and it was the the Oscar and Charlotte Flair, which was rated as a good, and the the Hurt Business and the New Day, which is rated as a great. Everything else was a must watch. I mean, sure, right on. Um, by the way, since he was always very nice to me, just condolences because Mr. Meltzer's mother passed away today, and I was reading. And those people who read the Wrestling Observer newsletter know about Mama Meltzer. So she was struggling for a while and all that stuff. So rest in peace to her there. Yeah, man. It's been a rough year for everybody. Um, And uh, since I'm just going sad right now, rest in peace to Kevin Green. Because if you guys remember remember Kevin Green, Mm -hmm. he was a defensive end, I want to say. Okay, definitely. Um, Played for the Niners a little bit. Um, 
I'll make sure I read the story correctly. Apologies I, I, before I announced the man passed away, but I did read that uh, he had passed away. But he did a little uh, he did a little wrestling in the WCW too. But Kevin Green passed away today. Um, young, he was only fifty eight years old. Third all time in sacks. Hell of an NFL player too. So. Anyway, I don't really have much else this week. We talked. We mentioned the two things I really watched. I just also said I watched episode three. Do you anything else you guys want to talk about before we call today? Uh, yeah, I did have only one little thing. Um, you go nuts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, no video games, no new shows really. Um, and I am not really one to <laughs> find or discover new music because uh, I stopped looking at new music uh, like midway through college. But. One of the bands I liked in college, uh, the Avalanches, which is one of my favorite bands that had kind of a big stint where they didn't release anything new for like over a decade. Um, a new album came out a couple weeks ago called We Will Always Love You. I've been slowly uh, working my way through that. And the one song I really like um, is called Running Red Lights. So if you want to check that out, Avalanches, Running Red Lights. They even have a music video on YouTube. I totally recommend it. All right, Steph, do you have anything else? Um, just little stuff. I got Sephiroth and Smash Brothers. I told Mark, um, whenever we have a chance to all play Smash Brothers together, I'm sorry, I got dibs. This is the only character I'm ever playing again in Smash. You guys can all look at him. Very shiny. Have, have we ever done I it? I got dibs have played, on him. Have we ever all played Smash? I mean, the four of us. Mm, don't I'm trying to think. I don't think we've done it yet. Not among us. Yeah. I played with you and Drew, Bob. We did do that. I remember that. Yeah. That's true. Uh, you're all, you guys, you guys I, are all right. I, mean, I need to fight someone who's competitive. I'm not you guys, you guys realize there's this magical thing called the internet. If we all did, oh, one it's so bad, Mike. It's <laughs> not. It's, yeah, yeah, Mike it and I played it hard to put together, tape together, and like me and Drew, like Bobby, like next to each other. It's like, yeah, I don't. How do you make a lobby? Who's controlling this? How do you? How do you? How does the it, rules? How do you it, it's not. It's like, not as it's easy as. Uh, it's not as easy as Mike and I play Uno every weekend now. That's it's not that simple where we all just say start. Okay. I, I, I play Smash with my nephew fairly regularly. It is not that hard. Because it, he's a child. Is, is it, I only tried it once with Eddie and it was pretty bad. Is the connection okay for you guys? Mike? You know, we we, did, we had a great connection when we did uh, Mario Kart, I remember. I mean, I'm assuming it's all Nintendo. It should be the same shit. I mean, right? it's just like, everyone's on Wi-Fi more or less unless you have an Ethernet adapter. So depending on people's I do not have an Ethernet adapter. Be a little sketch, but yeah. Yeah, um, man, I have, yeah, so, um, okay, we'll be back next week, guys. We're going to talk about, uh, we're going to do our bracket for the our favorite fighter walkout songs. If you have anything you want to add, uh, hit us up on uh, SM Amazing Twitter. Despite my attack on social media, I will check that. Mike will check out our Instagram. Um, we're also at itsmamazing at gmail.com. Um, if you want to send us a message, anything particular, you know, if you're an old school fan, maybe, maybe something that, like, I don't know, something in from Pride that people came out. Yeah, remember when Tank used like... to come out with his Tank music? I don't I have no idea. <laughs> remember the Just Bleed guy had his own entrance song? I was going to say, he Tank needed to come out with Tank noises, the way Diesel used to come out to the... Well, Diesel came out with like a truck noise. Just to... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all right, guys. Thank you all for listening. We really appreciate it. Um, I was Dr. Law. That was Kid Presentable. That was Lavender Gooms. That was DJ Mark. Uh, Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Everything you celebrate. You guys have a nice week. Peace out. See ya.